Welcome, Blood Brothers and Sanguine Sisters, to Deeply Discussing Dexter, Season 2, Episode 3, An Inconvenient Lie. I'm your host, Dale Maxfield. I'm joined by Aaron Caldwell. Hello. Brooke Merritt. Hello. And Zach Rowland. Hello. And in today's episode, we've got uh, Dexter continuing to struggle with his 12-step program, more uh, looking into the Bay Harbor Butcher, uh, Dexter finds himself a hot new minivan to drive. What did you guys think of this episode overall? I liked this one. I thought this one was good. Um, not one of my favorites, but definitely not one of the worst. Yeah, I would say it's uh, it's a watchable episode. Um, you know, it just kind of furthers the plot of both the uh, Bay Harbor Butcher and Dexter's coping mechanisms and stuff, but it wasn't bad. It was fine. I enjoyed the banter of this episode, but the overall storyline was just kind of eh. So yeah, I thought it was interesting. Uh, what as I was watching the opening credits or the opening of the show, seeing that it was directed by Tony Goldwyn, which this is his fourth episode, the guy that played Doctor Meridian last season, and it's written by uh, the the uh, head writer, Melissa Rosenberg, I was like, this is going to be a solid, solid episode. And I felt like it was. Um, Unfortunately, this is the last we'll see of Tony Goldwyn. It's his last episode. He also uh, directed the season premiere for season two. So um, I thought this one was really pretty decent. Yeah, I think maybe... Tony Goldwyn hit his uh, hit his his number. He was like, "All right, I've got I've had too many good ones, guys. I got to get out and make a new show." Yeah, and I don't know when Scandal started or if he had some other project that he was working on around that time, but I'm sure Scandal was a bigger job for him certainly than directing a couple episodes here and there of Dexter. So it was quite a bit pre-Scandal, but he had a pretty good career. I'm sure he had other stuff going on. Yeah. So uh, the episode starts out with an NA meeting. Uh, Dexter sitting in the back trying to decide what killing supplies he needs to stock up on. Lila notices Dexter disliking the whole thing and leaving. He gets home, he tells Rita it was interesting hearing the same story over and over again, which he's being sarcastic, but Rita says, oh, so knowing you're not alone is completely unaware of what he really thinks about it. Um, but he gets busted for not bringing back a first meeting chip. Rita says, if you don't work the program, and I mean really work it, I'm not going through this again. He kind of awkwardly puts his arm around her and he says, tomorrow, I'll go again tomorrow and stay. And then uh, he goes to Miami Metro and manages to just make a closing elevator with uh, Sergeant Dokes standing there. And they tease each other with the fact that Dokes is still following Dexter and they both know it and they're both just messing with each other over it. I really enjoy the banter between Dexter and Dokes. Uh, this season, of course, it's ramped up because of the, the ongoing storyline, but just the first season and this season, they are they just play so well off of one another. The characters are great. Yeah, I think that this is a good intro to this episode, and we get to see Dexter at this meeting. Um, it's just funny because... You know, at first he's just kind of playing along with the lie that he's built around the Paul situation, and now he finds himself 
you know, in something he's like, I don't belong here. This isn't for me. This is dumb, you know. So it's like it's like funny that he has to just try to play along with the lie, but Rita knows too much about this situation for him to be ahead of the game. You know, he's almost uh, he's he's he doesn't have that advantage he normally does. Yeah, and based on just this one early scene, it looks like he's going to kind of get away with it. But uh, as we'll find, as as comes up later, uh, Rita really does know her stuff, and she's not going to put up with him, you know, half-assing it in treatment. So, uh, continuing that story, Dexter's van allows him to slip past Dokes and get to another NA meeting. He gets his newcomer's chip and three minutes to speak. Um, he doesn't really know what to say. Lyle asks what's his name and gets Dexter started talking. She invites Dexter next door uh, to this diner for better coffee. Uh, Lila completely sees through his phony speech and gives an intricate description of her need to do drugs. But to Dexter, it sounds a lot like what he deals with. Uh, Dexter freaks out about that, pays and leaves, and he thinks the program's too risky if addicts can see through him this fast. Rita sees the chip and thanks him and hugs him. Uh, Dexter tries to talk Rita out of continuing meetings. He says they'll do more harm than good. Rita says she prays he'll change his mind and throws him out. So, uh, even even getting the chip, uh, just the suggestion that that uh, it might not be for him is enough to get him kicked out of Rita's house. Which, I mean, is right. He, she, she's been through this time and time again. Of course she's going to see through his BS. Yeah. I love this introduction to Lila. I think Lila is such a great character from the, for this season uh, with this situation. And I, again, another one of those characters where now watching it again, uh, I'm like, oh, right, that girl, right, okay. Um, but it's interesting. She really puts it to him, and he's not, I don't say spooked easily, but there's something about her that really gets under his skin, and that doesn't happen normally for Dexter. So I love watching this evolution of Dexter in how he's not himself a lot, or the Dexter that we know, the audience knows. And she's such the antithesis of Rita. I mean, this is the complete opposite woman of, of Rita. So it's kind of interesting, too, to see, you know, as he's going through these issues with Rita, how he's drawn in. And I know it's just, you know, them being addicts, quote unquote, since he isn't really. But interesting to see how he's pulling towards somebody who is the complete opposite of um, the way he lives so protected and so sheltered. Um, just this wild, crazy person who's the opposite of him. So, Zach, you're saying that you forgot about Lila until you started watching the season again yeah yeah it was the same almost situation uh with lundy too mm-hmm. i was like oh right i totally forgot and, and these are characters that i remember loving the first time that i watched the uh the seasons uh the these the, these seasons because it was just like or season two because it was uh it was just one of those things where you you get introduced to new characters and you fall in love with them and then things happen and they go the way they go but yeah i was like ah yes this is refreshing Every time I watch season two, I like Lila less. Um, I, I think, uh, like many people early on, there's sort of a fascination with her that she's um, this kind of street smart, 
person who can see through Dexter's lies and, and through what he's trying to do and all of that kind of stuff. But there's something like just, uh, I don't know, like trashy about her. I don't know what it is that I just, <laughs> I, I just am not, not a huge fan of the character. No, I, is it her, her horrible British accent? <laughs> well, isn't the actress actually British? Yeah, she is. She has the worst British accent for a British actress. That's really unfortunate since she is actually British. Yeah, I like t- at this point watching her, I mean, and she's not nearly this bad. I'm being hyperbolic, but at this point when I watch, I think, you know, if you took Russell Brand and you put a mask on him, that's kind of who this person is. Pretty much. That's I, actually not far off. I kind of get you with that. Okay. I actually uh, yeah. felt the same way rewatching it. The first time I watched season two, I absolutely loved Lila. And this time going through at the beginning, yeah, it was kind of like her character was interesting, but. There's just something about her that puts me off. Yeah. She's got this very, like, just, I don't know, art school, trashy, holier-than-thou kind of vibe, and I don't like it. I don't care for it. Um, so, <laughs> Dexter calls Rita. He asks if they're breaking up. Rita says that's up to Dexter. Uh, and then Dokes is waiting outside Miami Metro to follow Dexter, he runs down everything he knows about Dexter, that he's slumming it as a blood splatter analyst, that he knows advanced jujitsu. Ironically, Dexter's whole body of work is his destination, the refrigerated morgue. Lundy startles him inside the tent and says about the bodies, they always speak eventually, why were they chosen? Lundy says the murderer would have a justification for the murderers, and he also says that the only justified murderer is to save innocent lives. So this is kind of our first like conversation where it's just Lundy and Dexter. I love Lundy. I know we we've said this before, but God, I love Lundy. It's so nice to have a a even-tempered, competent, thoughtful member of law enforcement on this show, <laughs> as opposed to the absolute shit show that is Miami Metro. <laughs> <laughs> right, maybe that's how, part of it too. Yeah, like, how, they, they aren't all bumbling idiots. How dare you? Miami Metro is the best. Like, if it's the upper echelon of law enforcement, clearly. Well, and God love Lundy. Like, he's trying to be inspiring to them, and he's really pretty positive. And really, you know, they're just a bunch of idiots. You're not going to turn them around by patting them on the head and trying to, you know, go get them, Tiger. It's. They're just terrible. Yeah. Yeah. What I also think is fascinating about Lundy is that he portrays a a character, an FBI agent, that I wouldn't foresee an FBI agent being. Like, the behavior. He is cool and calm and collected. And I'm not saying I don't know any FBI. Actually, I think I know one FBI agent. He won't tell me. Uh, But, uh... It's uh, they just sometimes when they're portrayed in media, they they come across as very aggressive, uh, somewhat more like of a of a dokes or um, very stern, 
and like it is nice to see him played this way which i think is almost so um it's just like so interesting how they they cast it and chose to to do it or even to write it however it was put together the foundation of it all because it's not what you would see in a typical fbi agent character yeah not the characterization but probably a real fbi agent you know when you watch the true crime shows that's the guys you see doing the press conferences yeah and i mean he's his role on the show is an amalgamation of like six different jobs in the fbi right like he's he's the the chief investigator and he's also the liaison to the police and he's also like he's all these things at the same time um that would be a number of different different people taking that job taking those jobs but uh you know, when they introduced him, they introduced him as being the uh, person who pretty much single-handedly solved the real-life serial killer uh, story of the Green River Killer. And, uh, you know, if he did that in real life, then uh, uh, his kind of slow and steady version, it may be uh, costing people some lives because the Green River Killer thing went on for like 30 years before they figured it out. <laughs> Not a great example to choose. So, um, later at an NA meeting, Dexter stands up and says, Hi, I'm Dexter, and I don't know what I am. Hi, Dexter. This time, Dexter speaks about his real problem, but he veils it enough to not make it sound like anything other than a narcotics addiction. Lila's there, and it seems to affect her. Dexter talks about how the mask is slipping and that people who never mattered before are starting to matter, and it scares the hell out of him. He gets a round of applause. Dokes walks into the back of the meeting and approaches Dexter and says, I knew there was something about you. He tells him to stay clean and stay out of my way and we won't have a problem. Oh, and you owe me a new Michelin, motherfucker. <laughs> Just those two together are so good. <laughs> um, I thought this was a really good scene and it served to make Dokes a little bit more of a well-rounded character because of his thoughtful approach to how the job can get to people. And then all of a sudden he turns it back on, calls him a motherfucker. But, you know, we had that moment. But it did give him a different dimension. He's kind of been a little bit one note as much as we've enjoyed Dokes and his one note. They, They are, you know, creating a little bit more of a dimensional character now. Yeah, now he has the freedom to do other things in future episodes than just be the guy that's always following Dexter. Right, and just always angry and following Dexter and pointing at him and giving him the look. He actually is building now. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed this speech that he gave at the NA meeting. I thought that was like a really well-written speech for the character and for the circumstances. Um, You know, a lot of times... it is the same old thing over and over again, which is why he brought it up, you know, in the beginning of the episode. Uh, and so for him to, like, sort of, in a way, say everything he needs to say without giving away too much. Um, and, and, you know, the Bay Harbor Butcher case is, is like, the biggest thing happening in Miami at, the, at this time. So, you know, he's he's still walking on thin ice. But um, I really just enjoyed the the speech itself. I thought it was very encapsulating, especially for like a, an in a style speech. It gave his character, um, you know, that much to, to where Dokes was there and, and saw it and like 
made that move and yeah i love that scene it was great yeah, and as an audience we we completely understand lila's fascination with him now because she's seen this huge about face from him and it's like you know hmm, this guy's got there's more to him than just what he wasn't telling me the other day uh, and that story concludes with Dexter going back to Rita, telling her how helpful the meeting was, mainly that it got Dokes off his back, but he doesn't tell her that. Rita drops Dexter off at another meeting in the minivan, and Dexter points out his sponsor, Lila. As they walk off, Lila slaps a hand on Dexter's back, and the camera zooms in on Rita's face. She's concerned. End of episode. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's it's one of those moments, right? <laughs> Maybe you don't want to send him to rehab after all. <laughs> yeah, I just think it's it's such a perfect like you know the irony of the situation of you know she's the one that kept pushing him to go and find a sponsor and all that and so he did and she needs to be good with his choices so that's uh I think that's a Cody moment where I wish Cody was the old Cody was in there and he'd just been like it's all your fault <laughs> old Cody old Cody would be in the back of the minivan and be like that lady is real pretty oh god you're right I think we should write old yeah. Cody into every episode from now on <laughs> Just what would old Cody say? Yeah, yeah. Like W W O C S. Wait, yeah. What would old Cody say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, best line, worst line, and, and old Cody line. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, the uh, next storyline is our Bay Harbor Butcher uh, investigation. Miami Metro is completely overrun by people due to something Lieutenant Pascal said to a reporter. Angel, still on his, as Dokes calls it, woo-woo bullshit, says, Look around, man. She's manifesting her own negativity. Uh, The television repeats footage of Pascal being asked by the reporter about the underwater gravesite. Her gaffe turns out to be that she said that anyone seeking a missing loved one should contact her directly at Miami Metro. Hence, the hundreds of people trying to get into Miami Metro. Um, there, the uh, reporter that is talking to her is played by Jay Jackson, who is a well-known character actor. He plays a similar reporter in all kinds of shows, um, and probably most notably in Parks and Rex's Purred Happily. How did I miss that? Yeah. that I that, love Purred Happily. It's always... Happily. Yeah, it's always the same character, and like you look at the guy's IMDb, and it's like reporter, 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 reporter. I reporter. swear, I've seen him in like five yeah. things where I'm like, oh, it's it's the reporter from Parks and Rec. Okay, yep, it's him. <laughs> yeah, wow, I was just watching an episode. Uh, I was just watching an episode last night from the first season. I'm rewatching Parks and Rec again, and uh, yeah, it was the Leslie Nope uh, sex scandal episode. Uh, and he like he's interviewing her, and then this I watched this today, and I was like, oh, I really want him to say I'm purred happily, and that's the news. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was gonna say it, and Dexter, I was like, man, that would have been so great if he was just purred in every. It was just him, the same character yeah. in every single spot. It's just he just plays <laughs> purred happily in every movie, but like, like he just seriously, he just about does because <laughs> like he's always billed as news reporter. They never give him a name anywhere else. And 
he he delivers it just like he does as Bert Happily. So, so we can just believe he's always Bert Happily. Yes, he's reporting for you heard with Bert. <laughs> Be so good. <laughs> um. Oh yeah. Dexter looks over the crowd of people and says, "Chances are that these people's loved ones weren't my victims." Matthews and Lundy show up to announce who all is assigned to Lundy's task force. Uh, Angel and Deb are among those chosen. Lundy asks Matthew to have Pascal speak to Lundy in the future before the press. Matthew says, I'll rip her a new one if I can find her. Uh, Dexter says, still, I wish my own sister wasn't out hunting me. Lundy makes a crack about Angel's ugly Hawaiian shirt. No offense. And he also assigns Deb and Angel to interview all of the people that showed up. Yeah, they got their hands full. That's for sure. I mean, old Pascal just doesn't know how to handle the uh, the, old, the media and Look what happens, you know. Well, she's all wrapped up in her own dirty laundry, which we'll get into later. <laughs> but let's be honest, oh, yeah. she's got the right skill set for Miami Metro. Mm-hmm. She's right where she belongs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is you know, there's a lot that goes down here. I think it's interesting when they you know they do the, um, the selection for the uh, Bay Harbor Butcher um, Task Force because Masuka is the uh, the head forensics investigator which he is very boastful about mm-hmm. uh and and wants everyone to know you know like he's gonna be the guy like i think he's almost trying to play like he's gonna be the next lundy of miami metro like he'll he'll crack the case or whatever yeah but you know it's yeah and then we see deb getting on there and uh which you know is a very interesting choice obviously because of the connection with her and the ice truck killer um and then, uh, and then Angel's, Angel's response to everything is just is so funny. <laughs> oh, Angel. Um, Masuka shows up and tells Dexter he got him on the Bay Arbor Butcher case to help him out. Deb's interviewing a woman with a scary-looking missing boyfriend. She gives Deb his DNA on a toothbrush. Deb tells Lundy she wants off the case. Uh, Masuka tells Dexter... Um, you're the one helping me out. The pressure is fucking redonkulous. And he takes Dexter into this massive refrigerated tent with all the pieces of bodies stored on gurneys. Is that the scene where he says, who's your daddy? And then has Dexter say, you're, you're, you're my daddy. Feel I think like Dexter just true. says, you're my daddy. And he, <laughs> that that's like the beginning of it. That's where he just see Dexter say, yeah. you're my daddy. And Masuka's like, eh, it sounds weird when you say it like that. <laughs> yeah, he said, yeah, he says, say it at one point to him as they're walking towards the tent, and that's when Dexter says it. Yeah, but yeah, it's weird all around. It's just weird stuff. It's just weird Masuka stuff. I mean, Brooke, how do you feel? <laughs> you know how I feel about weird Masuka stuff. It's all weird Masuka stuff. <laughs> it's all weird, and I hate it all. At least he's not being like over-sexualized, I guess, like to, to some degree. I mean, the daddy thing is for sure like a well, weird. Maybe not in that thing. scene, but he also did mention <laughs> the boss's sweater melons early in the episode. So let's not give him credit. Well, that was him being respectful, Brooke. I yeah. So he said, I think <laughs> he did. Laguardia was yeah. like, "That's your lieutenant, you know. Show some respect." And he's like, "I thought I just did." <laughs> I just wish every yeah. episode would end with somebody just slapping him across the face. <laughs> <laughs> End scene. Credits. That's, a, that's a very show. sitcom. That's, 
Dexter the sitcom. Although, I do knowing like- Masuka, he would probably be like, this is the greatest thing ever. True, he would, yeah. Yeah. He'd be, he'd be into it. I do want to say the, sh- the shot of Dexter walking into the refrigerated morgue tent was really awesome. Like, it was, a, it, was a, it was a great shot, the way they shot it. Him walking in there, and it kind of just, like, pulling back, and you're seeing all these bodies, and him really taking... Like, he's seen pieces of it up until this point, to some degree, but, mm-hmm. like, obviously he knows the pieces because he's, he's the one who put them there. But now he's seeing it reassembled. It's almost like um, we're going back to season one with, like, the puzzles and stuff like that. Like, it's... You know, like, he's seeing th- this puzzle that he sort of has been the mastermind behind, but he didn't ever want anyone to see it, and now he's right in the middle of it. I just thought that was a great shot. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's another one of those scenes where you go, okay, this is what I wanted Dexter to be all the way through. Yeah, and it's not just him, like, admiring them with his magic fish finder that can see where the bodies are. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Deb becomes emotional about a woman who's looking for her lost child. She goes to Lundy and asks why he hasn't reassigned her yet, and Lundy tells her that he chose her because she was up close with the ice jerk killer. He tells her to finish off the day before she makes a final decision. And I love this scene between her and Lundy. I just, I just love it. I think that um, just the the delivery of the line, and then you also get to see that yeah, he's this really intelligent, amazing FBI agent, but he is so sympathetic, and he's also really thoughtful in his decisions. Again, something we need to see more of in the Miami Metro. <laughs> so I think it's a great scene. Yeah, we are never going to get that out of Miami Metro. I'm afraid. Uh, mm. So, another person, the son of the creepy-looking guy, comes to Deb about the creepy-looking guy. And she goes to Lundy. She thinks the prison history might be a pattern. Uh, Lundy bites on that idea, and so, and they go to check with the DC lab for more confirmation. So, that is the end of that plot line for this, uh, this, uh, this show. And this time, Dexter did not give her that tip. Just saying. Yeah. She's getting better. She is evolving. That is true. She's evolving and actually developing some skills. Well, she gets a lot more confidence from Lundy um, as the show goes on. Because he he does a good job of, uh, uh, what would you call it, like... I guess it's a co- kind of mentoring in a way. Yeah, yeah good word. Well, and, and it shows what having competent leadership can do for Deb, too. Yeah, exactly. Which is another thing mm-hmm. we will never get out of yeah. Miami Metro. You don't think it's good <laughs> leadership for LaGuardia to, you know, comment on her Deb's hookers and Yeah, and I don't think outfits. Matthews is ever gonna, you know, come in and give Deb an attaboy for coming up with some idea. So, um Yeah. So the next uh plot line here is Dexter and his new target for this episode a car salesman Um, the salesman builds a whole lie about owning a minivan and having a family Dexter takes a comb out of his pocket to match his DNA with the crime scenes of these girls that he's been killing salesman shows him how the third row of seating folds down to a flat floor and mentions that he's hauled a deer carcass in his not to mention the tinted windows um and then in the next scene, we see Dexter driving the minivan. 
He says, I go to stalk a killer and I end up in a new car. LaGuardia sees it and asks him if he's getting married. He's like, I, not that I know of. She says, then what's with the mommy mobile? And it turns out that the hair that he got on the comb was synthetic hair. So even the guy's hair is fake. And did he, like, time travel back to the 80s to find this car salesman? Could he have been any more of the, a cliche? I mean, he had the, <laughs> the bad hair, the bad fake hair. He's wearing, like, looked like a members-only jacket. He's carrying a comb. Like, I yeah. feel like we went back a couple decades to get this guy. He actually reminded me a lot of uh, Saul from, Bre- from Breaking Bad. Like a low-rent mm. Saul. Very low-rent Saul. Yeah, although... How dare... <laughs> how dare you? Although he has, how like... dare you? Magical, know exactly what the customer wants and why they want it from, like, a 10-second interaction thing going for him. So who knows? He's Vulcan. very perceptive. I'll give him that. Vulcan mind mail. Yeah. Uh, so Dexter returns to the car salesman looking to add a bunch of options to his van... He waits in the salesman's office looking for more, uh, looking for some DNA that he can actually use. He runs into a woman who shows up with a thank you card. She fits the profile of the salesman's MO. He has learned about their living situations via credit check to make sure they live alone with no pets. Um, <laughs> that scene with Dexter just like pumping her for information <laughs> was so wonderful and creepy all at the same time. Like, it was Masuka-level creepy. Well, and she it's asks really him... Awkward. She asks him, like, if this is a come-on, it's a really weird one. <laughs> you know, and he probably didn't even realize it was coming across that way. It wouldn't even occur to him that he would seem like he was coming on to her because he's that bad at that, that sort of thing. Yeah. Of course. Um, so Dexter finally matches the salesman's DNA to the killer of the prior women, and uh, he shows up just as the salesman leaves for the night. Dexter chokes him out with a ligature and uses that ample cargo space to transport him unconscious to the kill room, which is the apartment of one of the salesman's victims. Uh, Dexter learns some important tricks from the salesman that it's important to just not give a shit. That's the key. Uh, the salesman tells Dexter how he knows that Dexter cares about his girlfriend. He went straight to the minivan like he could see her in the passenger seat. Um, but then he, like, a complete moron. Like, up to this point, he's been pretty smart and been pretty good at talking his way out of stuff. But uh, he totally misreads the situation going into the, you know, fucking bitches speech. And Dexter lashes out when he calls her a cunt. Stabs him and says, don't call my girlfriend that. Can we just mention that in the background he had the guy's wig or toupee on the styrofoam head? Oh, yeah. Uh, Oh, my God, that's so funny. Just such a great little touch. Well, the reason being is because that is also a crime that he committed. (laughs) Right. He needed double punished for that. That's right. Dexter's like, look at what you have done. Yeah, you killed a couple people, but really look at this. (laughs) My God. But uh, I actually like when Dexter goes to uh, goes to collect him, uh, and when he keeps calling him out on all his lies, and finally the guy's just like, "Yeah, I just I just don't give a shit." And that leaves us with uh, one last uh, little plot line here, which is Laguerta and Pascal, um, which is 
LaGuardia comes in and tries to push Pascal to do her job because she's spaced out and doing other things. She momentarily snaps out of it, but then her ex walks in the door and comes in to argue with her more. And then later, uh, Matthews takes LaGuardia aside and asks if she should be worried about Pascal. LaGuardia calls Matthews out for being sexist and sticks up for her. And that's kind of their only thing in the episode, but... uh, To Matthews' credit, he did not drop a racial slur. And I think that's a victory here. We're setting well, the bar at, low, huh? You know, at first, I really was, you know, team team Pascal. I felt bad for her because we thought LaGuardia was setting her up. And she's such a bully, LaGuardia is. But, oh, God, Pascal really sucks at her job. She's terrible. I mean, and that's by Miami Metro standards. It's such an about face, too. Because at the end of season one, she she seemed incredibly competent. And then season two starts, and she has lost her mind. And you have no idea what's going on in the meantime. But I do love LaGuerta. LaGuerta in the scene with Matthews when he's saying how, you know, Pascal is erratic, and she says, you know, erratic is just code for non-male. And I thought, okay, you know, go, girl. Yeah. Yeah, all all of this is building up to a payoff. Uh, in the next episode, but um, which yeah. we'll come back to your point there, Brooke. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but no, it's. I mean, on the surface of it, it looks like she's sticking up for her and trying to help her out. Even though, as an audience, now we're kind of starting to turn on Pascal because she just can't keep it together. Well, to this point, she serves no purpose. <laughs> like, she's just a, a character that's in the background. Yeah. It's just, she's just there to give LaGuerta something to do in some of these episodes. Because she's not in charge right now. But it really did start out as a promising character when she first appeared in the first season. Like you said, it's a complete switch because she really, you know, she seemed like she was going to be really good on the show and then... They completely took her in the different direction quickly. It, it makes sense to bring her in at the end of season one the way that they do. Um, the way they choose to take care of her going forward in this season makes sense to me. Um, she's someone that, you know, you could also see them setting up as a character that you get to know just enough that they kill them off, that it's somebody that, you know, you feel bad for, but... Um, no, I mean, they never really developed her character beyond uh, that she's trying to be friendly with LaGuerta, even though Matthews told her not to at the end of season one. So, uh, This episode was directed by Tony Goldwyn. We mentioned that earlier. Um, like we said before, he appeared in Ghost. Patrick Swayze movie, uh, directed several episodes of The L Word. This is his fourth and final episode of Dexter, uh, directing, and after Dexter, he was the director and lead actor on Scandal playing Fitzgerald Grant. Writer is uh, head writer Melissa Rosenberg. She previously wrote uh, and appeared uncredited on Smallville. 
She, on Dexter, she's the head writer of the first four seasons and wrote or co-wrote 11 episodes across them, including Love American Style and Father Knows Best in season one. Uh, she went on to be a creator and occasional writer on Jessica Jones. Uh, yeah, that uh, still a note of uh, the fact that she was the head writer for the first four seasons. That's interesting. Yeah. Throwing it out there, you know. That's something. That's a big something. Yeah, because then there's the second four seasons. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, we won't go there yet. <laughs> uh, best line of the episode. I Initially, I gave it to uh, Rita's uh, You're a Terrible Liar. Uh, it's like very at the very beginning of the episode. It's a simple line, but I thought it was... It made me laugh just because I was like, but he's really a good liar. Uh, but he's but he's really a bad liar. Like, it was a double double thing going on there. But then I also really enjoyed, like I said, the uh, the mask is slipping line from the speech. So I thought those were, like, really good lines. You know, I, I went with um, one of Lundy's lines when he's having the pep talk with Deb. I went with something a little more serious uh, for once. I mean, it was kind of a close one between that and you owe me a Michelin motherfucker, but... That was mine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. too. But when he's, he's saying to her, you got a first-hand look at the mind and heart of a killer. You're still here. If you can accept that, you can use it. I guess the line's not that great, but the way he delivered that line, I I went with something a little more intense. Yeah. I could see that. I, I had to go with you owe me a Michelin motherfucker. I mean, come on. <laughs> I kind of had a feeling that would be the big favorite, too, so I thought I'd go a different direction. But yeah, I mean, he's got a lot... Uh, Dexter has a lot of good uh, stuff to say in this episode, and, you know, that's a good sign when your head writer can write a good scene. So, the show's not really showing a whole lot of cracks at this point. Yeah, this one I had a lot of contenders for best line. I mean, this was a, a strong, strongly written episode. Um, other than You're My Daddy, what do you guys think for worst line of the episode? <laughs> I had uh, DNA, DNA come out to play. <laughs> I thought that was kind of cheesy and dumb. I was, I was like, all right, it rhymes. It's also like the Warriors, like, Warriors. <laughs> and you're like, all right, it's not. Yeah. Which in the Warriors, that was an ad lib. That actor just said yeah. that. He was like an extra, and he wasn't supposed to even talk. And he just said that, and they are like, that's cool. Yeah, it's one of the most memorable lines from yeah. the movie. You got one? Well, you, you cut out my choice, so no. Okay, I, fine. I don't have one. <laughs> um, performance of the episode. Keith Carradine, Frank Lundy, is so good in this episode. That's also my choice. I agree, strongly. So there's two for Lundy. I mean, I'm always, I'll probably always throw my hat in for Lundy, but I did put down Rita this time just because i felt like she again is going through an emotional roller coaster with the situation and just played it really well but yeah i, I love lundy all the time so i don't know it's, it's, i could go either way i'm gonna go with uh russell brand since this is the first time i noticed that he was a cast member on the show <laughs> he really lost himself in that role he did because I thought he was this lady that was doing a terrible British accent. Mm-hmm. 
turned out she well, was actually I mean, British. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you really think of the, if it's Russell Brand, then uh, get him to the Greek has, has a whole different meaning mm-hmm. because of the gr- Greek. Imp- that's no, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> Never mind. That's for all the people who are too inside baseball. <laughs> Feta cheese, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, um, <laughs> that does it for this episode. Uh, thank you for listening. Thanks all of you guys for helping me out with uh, with the making of the podcast. Uh, we will see you next time on Deeply Discussing Dexter. <laughs>